Hello. We're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. And if you're someone who's made that commitment to read your Bible through every day because you know it's food for your soul, that food can be like going to the pantry and grabbing a cup of flour, some sultanas, a couple of eggs, and eating it all individually and going, well, they told me that's what goes into a cake, but that did not taste like a cake. And sometimes we approach the Bible like that too. Stories have been used over time to pass information from one generation to the next. The Bible is God's story of why the world is the way it is. If we pluck tidbits from the pages of the Bible, we're left with only jigsaw pieces and fail to see the completed picture. Dr. Corbett is working through a series titled The Eight Greatest Stories in the Bible to help give us a better understanding of the Bible as a whole. Let's join Dr. Corbett now to meet the real Prince of Egypt. Your word does, and may I just stand back and watch you do it. In Jesus' name, amen. I I mentioned just as a, by the way, it's been a few weeks since I I did uh, the last instalment of this series that I was contacted by someone in America who had said they're meeting regularly now with people who don't know anything about the Bible and part of their work is uh, involves meeting with people in different contexts and they strike up a conversation and they will say you know there are you know when asked what do you do they say well you know I do this and but part of my thing is that I lead a a Bible study in my church and you know through COVID we've started up Zoom groups and things like this and he said his name's Greg Napier so Greg if you're watching he's in Indiana he's in West Lafayette Indiana and he said that what happens is it actually provokes conversation they actually say you know what I've never really got what you Christians are on about I've never really understood the Bible at all at all and Greg mentioned this to me and contacted me and said, you know, I'm doing your daily Bible reading. We've been doing the Dear Timothy Bible study series as well. And, but I'm wondering if there's something that we could do that would be a visual Bible study that you press play on and then we could discuss it in one of these Zoom groups. Because I've got about 10 guys who want to do this. So I said, leave with me, I'll see what I can do. So this is kind of the background now to what we're doing, the eight greatest true stories in the Bible and the idea is that we're going to have a look at eight key stories in scripture that give you an understanding of the whole message of the Bible so just to remind you is that God's story the Bible this book here is really God's explanation of why the world is the way it is Tony mentioned Greg Kokel's book the story of reality And Greg makes a great contribution into this space where he's saying that the world is fast, quickly embracing a lie about the way the world is. And the way the world is, is the way God has designed for it to be, the way he describes that it is. And yet for many people who have never come to understand who God is and what his word is all about, they look at the Bible and this is kind of how it, how it looks. Can anyone read that text? Yeah, some of you might be able to go, I think there's a, I can see number two. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a bit blue and you could kind of almost make out some of the words. And I guess if you're really concentrated, you could figure it out. But I think that's how it is for many people when they look at the Bible. Yeah, you can put your glasses on, Catherine, it won't make any difference. <laughs> 
So this is how it is for some people. They read, especially if you're one of those people who says, oh, the pastor said I need to read the Bible every day. I know, uh, that'll do. And you read it and it, go, it, it looks like that. That's what it looks like, not literally, but that's, it might as well look like that. So this is what happens when you, you do something that helps you to understand the, the Bible. Marty, come on out. You're, you, you volunteered, so come on out. Kimmy, come and grab a photo of this, please. I want you to just to stand back here, Marty, and tell me, without touching those pieces, what that picture is. You're a jigsaw expert. I'm not quite sure how this got to jigsaw expert, but... <laughs> Can you tell what that is? No. What would you have to do to figure out what that is? Grab the box. Well, without the box, what would you have to do? I would start with the... Okay, see how you go. You've got about a, a couple of minutes. You, you just do what you do being a jigsaw expert. Okay. And when... Marty's actually made a, quite a profound point that without the box lid, it's really difficult to know what all these are. I mean, if I said to you, you know, what's that? You know, we're going to go a jigsaw piece, but without understanding where that fits in the picture, it's going to be really, really difficult, really difficult. All right, Marty, um, you've, you've moved, you've made your first move. Is, it, is the picture becoming any clearer now? No. No, it takes some time, jigsaw puzzle. It's not, not, it's not a rush, kid. <laughs> How long would it take you to put all that together? Well, it depends if I've recruited my children to help me cheat. Um, a few days. A few days. Marty, would it, would it help at all, you know, looking at, looking at this, would it help at all if I showed you this? That's what it's supposed to look like. That's what it looks like right there. Now, all of a sudden, See, does I that... I can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> so now... Now it, 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 it kind of makes some sense, now that you've got the box lid. Marty, I'm going to ask you to do something really difficult. Like, stop. Stop. <laughs> Thank Marty. <laughs> Should I cover this up, Marty, just so the fidgy... All right, I'll, I'll cover this up, because I know, I know how my OCD works, and I'm guessing Marty's probably going to be itching to go, no, hang on, I, I nearly had it. <laughs> Oh, the two pieces. Oh, Marty, you, you could never have solved it because Kim's just pointed out two pieces fell out. So we'll... The journey is not the destination. <laughs> All right. I don't think the plectrum was a piece. In, anyway. All right, so the box lid helps you to realise now when you pick up a piece, you go, oh, you know, I, I, I know that goes down in that corner because there's, there's, some, there's some red bits there and they look like tulips over there and... There's some more tulips over here and things like that. Now it begins to make sense. And I think when many Christians go to read the Bible, and this is just Christians, so we're not even talking non-Christians, people who, who maybe have never made a commitment to Christ, never been uh, taught what Scripture says, 
it looks like just a jumble of pieces. And if you're someone who's made that commitment to read your Bible through every day because you know it's food for your soul, that food can be like going to the pantry and grabbing a cup of flour, some sultanas, a couple of eggs, and eating it all individually and going, well, they told me that's what goes into a cake. But that did not taste like a cake. And sometimes... We approach the Bible like that too, where it's blah, 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 flour, blah, egg, sultanas, sultanas you probably do with. So today I want to help you to get a, a bit of a clearer picture of the box lid. And this is the expression that I also used in doing the daily Bible readings on YouTube as well. So we're going to be looking at the real prince of Egypt you may be aware that Disney did a movie called The Prince of Egypt and it was a, an animated um, depiction of the life of Moses and it bears mm, some similarity to what the Bible says but not a lot. So let's have a look at the, the real deal. I'm going to start, if you've got a Bible, go to the, the second book in the Bible which is called Exodus and by the way, each of the first five books of the Bible start with either the first or near first word of the book itself. So for example, in the beginning, the word beginning is that Latin word that we, we get the word Genesis from. And uh, Exodus, it's, it's near uh, the opening statement that describes this book as well, the Exodus. Right, so we're in Exodus chapter 1 verse 7 and it says this, But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now, if you just read that verse and you opened your Bible and you just jumped into verse 7 of chapter 1, what do you now know, Durian? Sorry to wake you up. What do you now know, Durian? Not much. It's like looking at a piece of the jigsaw puzzle going, the people of who? They, they were fruitful? What, like, tr like growing apples? Like, what is this? And so we continue on, especially if we read the next one, verse 8, where it says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt. Egypt? Where'd that come from? Because the last verse didn't tell us anything about Egypt, so what's going on? Who did not know Joseph? And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply and if war breaks out they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So what do we know? What do we know from these verses? Well in fact if, if you just picked up those five pieces of the jigsaw puzzle that makes the box lid of God's word you, you really would be struggling to figure out what is going on here? And so what I want to do is I want to Come back in time, it's kind of like if you've ever seen those really clever movies where they show you what happens right at the end, but they show it right at the start, and then you're left wondering, how did we get here? And then they go back to show you how we get to here. That's what I want to do now. And I, my, part of my aim here is that I want you, if someone asks you this dream question as a Christian, they ask you, maybe they see you reading your Bible on your phone. Maybe they might see you actually reading a physical Bible. And they might say to you, what are you doing? And, you, and hopefully you'll be bold enough to say, actually, I'm just having a bit of time to read the Bible. And if you do, 
they might actually come back with this question, and what does it say? That was actually the question that uh, a guy by the name of Beckett Cook, who had lived a very, very, very wild life, and he got to a point in his life where he knew that his family, his extended family, really struggled with him because he was kind of dishonouring the family. But every time he came back to his hometown, his sister-in-law would ask, can we catch up? And so Beckett said, sure. And he and his sister-in-law would have a coffee and she just wanted to catch up. She just wanted to hear, what, what have you been up to? What's been happening? And he would ask her the same thing. She was an, a Christian and, and she never scolded him. She never said, you know what you're doing is wrong. You're a, you know you're a sinner. She never said anything like that. She just caught up with him and connected. What Beckett didn't know was that every day for 20 years, his sister-in-law prayed for him to come to know Christ. 20 years go by and Beckett, who's extremely well paid, he's in the entertainment business, he's in movies, he's in TV shows, he's living the life. But he said he went to the, the, the New York fashion show, he used to go every year to the Paris fashion show and the New York fashion show and, and he said he was at this one and he saw what he saw every year, the parties, the, the, that lifestyle and he said suddenly it just didn't mean anything to him, he felt empty and he couldn't tell anyone and he couldn't show it and he came back to where he lived and he was having coffee with his best friend, uh, a guy who was also gay and over at the table in this cafe, there was a group of young people and they had these things out. They had the Bibles out on the table. And, and Beckett's friend said, what do you think they're doing? Because they'd never seen people <laughs> looking at the Bible, especially in a cafe. Who does that? And so his friend said to Beckett, why don't you go over there and ask them, what are you doing? So he did. He went over and said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, we're, we're actually just uh, having a bit of a Bible study. And he said this and what's it all about and they said take a seat and they shared with him and at the end of it he was he felt something was drawing him and and they said would you like to join us this Sunday at church and he said why not why not and he went and that Sunday the pastor was preaching on a, he, he, he was two years into a series on Romans. Can you imagine that some a preacher preaching on a series for two years? What's with some of these preachers? And he was up to Romans chapter 7, which talks about how sin doesn't satisfy the human soul and how it leads to frustration. And Beckett's listening to this, and he heard a voice say to him, listen to this man, everything he is saying is true. And as he listened, he realised it was. It was describing him and how he felt. And at the end of it, the preacher went for an hour. Can you imagine that? A preacher going for nearly an hour? Golly. Some preachers, no consideration. And we'll be done by midday. And um, the end of it, the preacher invited, if, if you would like prayer for anything that I've raised today, just over to the side here, there'll be people waiting to pray with you. And Beckett got up and went over there and said, I don't know what I need, but I need something just 
I don't know, I don't even know why I'm here. And the guy said, well, just let me pray for you. Just reached out, began to pray for him. And Beckett said, nothing strange happened immediately, but something happened. And I'd never experienced it ever in my life. And I didn't know what was happening. And I went back to my seat. And the something that was happening was like the reverberation of a wave. And as I sat down, that wave got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then he said, I was like at the bottom of a tidal wave of the Holy Spirit who overwhelmed me and I felt the love of God just washing over me and then I heard God speak I'm God Jesus is my son you are a sinner who needs saving and my son is that savior turn to him he heard that voice and so he did he cried out in his heart save me Jesus save me and he said with utter emotion he broke down into tears, overwhelmed by what was happening in his soul. And it started with a question in a cafe. So what's this about? I hope that you get asked that question and this helps you to answer it. After the parents of the human race contaminated their souls, this was our last episode, with the spiritual stain of sin, and make no mistake about it, it is a stain on the human soul, Mankind became increasingly evil toward each other. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, coming back in the story from where we started, says this, And the Lord saw the wickedness of man at this point. It was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You see, at this point the Creator had to do something because of the wickedness of man Many scholars believe that the murder rate was so high that life expectancy was no greater than the age of 40. People were committing all kinds of evil and so the Creator flooded the Mesopotamian Valley where all of Earth's early population had huddled. But saved Noah, his family and local wildlife. And you know the story, Noah and the Ark. And after the floodwaters receded, and the earth began to be repopulated. God scattered the descendants of Noah, it says, over the face of all the earth. And we see that then mankind built a tower, the Tower of Babel. God came and saw that there was evil intention in this. Yet God, in his heart, he longed to redeem mankind. And he longed to be reconciled to mankind. And so... He decided that he would choose a man through whom he would descend the Saviour. The Saviour would be his, of this man, a descendant of this man. And it says this in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed a prophecy of his descendant the savior of mankind Abram eventually became Abraham his wife Sarai became Sarah and in their old age they were blessed with their only child a miracle baby whom they named Isaac. Isaac means 
laughter. In modern Hebrew, it's pronounced Yitzhak. You may remember a prime minister of Israel being Yitzhak. Isaac became the father of Jacob, who became the father of 12 sons. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and his sons each became patriarchs of a tribe. But one of Jacob's sons, his second youngest son, Joseph, was his favourite, and his brothers hated him. And they did what they could to make his life hell, eventually selling him into slavery. But he eventually became prime minister of where he'd been sold into slavery, thus fulfilling a prophecy that God had given him. And he became prime minister of Egypt during a a, a most unusual time in Egypt's history when the Egyptian dynasty had been overthrown by non-Egyptians called the Hiskos. The Hiskos dynasty were Semitic people, not Egyptian people. And Semitic people love sheep. Just by the way, it's a curious period, just when Joseph was taken down there. Now, during a terrible famine, Joseph gave refuge to his father, his brothers, and their families. And you might be thinking, what? After all they did to him? Yep, after all they did to him. And he moved them to Egypt, where there was plenty of food for them and for their their, their animals as well. Then Joseph died, it says in Exodus chapter 1, verse 6. Now we're back where we started, except we're one verse earlier than where we were. We started at verse 7. Now we're reading verse 6. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. And long after Joseph died, we see that there's a new Pharaoh. Not just a new Pharaoh, of course, because generations have gone by. In fact, some 400 years has gone by. It's no longer the Hiskos dynasty. The Egyptians themselves took back control of their country. And there's now a new dynasty. And this Pharaoh despised the Hebrews, the Israelites. And he commanded that all their newborn baby boys be killed by being thrown into the Nile River. The Nile was worshipped by Egyptians. But one of these Hebrew babies is put in a basket, a wicker basket, and floated down the Nile where Pharaoh's daughter finds him and raises him as her son, a prince of Egypt. We go to the verse after the verses that we read and it says this, when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. And that's what the word Moses means, out of the water. When Moses was 40 years old, he fled Egypt. Meanwhile, the oppression against his fellow Hebrews in Egypt became unbearable. They cried out to God and God appeared to Moses in a very dramatic way and ordered him to return to Egypt and to lead the Hebrews out of Egypt. God enabled Moses to do this with many miracles called the plagues, the ten plagues. These miracles culminated on the night of the Hebrews' exodus, which means to leave from Egypt, when God parted the sea, which allowed them to escape from their pursuers. 
that night the angel of death passed over note those two words the Egyptians as the Hebrews instigated a ceremonial Passover meal Exodus chapter 12 verses 2 and 3 this month shall be for you the beginning of months it shall be the first month of the year for you tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses a lamb for a household down to verse 13 and this is what they had to do kill the lamb catch the blood dip a hyssop branch in that blood go outside their house and paint the lintel of their doorway and their door frame with that blood hmm the blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are and when I see the blood I will note the words pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt so the tenth plague would be a plague where the angel of death would take out the firstborn sons of each house that did not have the blood over the doorway and all of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron and on that very day the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts they went down into Egypt it says in the opening verses of Exodus as 70 people and they were coming out with nearly 2 million people now God instituted this event as a prefiguring what's a prefiguring it's an early indication of something yet to come that's what prefiguring means and of how he would ultimately redeem save and rescue from their eternal peril of sin's consequences now the point there is from this moment there would be a lot of prefiguring of the saviour to come this Passover event we celebrated when we celebrated communion which Pastor Tony led us in that was the deal Moses as we'll see when I come back in a moment he would be the leader of the people and God would give all these prefiguring moments right through their history but here's here's the thing that we can learn from this story right now God really cares about people he really cares about people's lives he cares about their eternal destiny he cares about their lives on a Monday morning not just the last day of their life and you may feel like Beckett Cook completely removed far from God but I'm here today and in a moment I want to come back and tell you a little bit about a little bit more about the author of the whole story would you please stand right now I need you to know that God has a plan for your life he has a story and you're a part of it and I want to tell you a little bit more about your part in his story after this song you are here 
If you'd like to obtain a CD copy or premium download of tonight's discussion, then please go to our website, findingtruthmatters.org, and select The Shepherd Boy Who Became King from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud.
He is. He's the way maker and what seemed impossible. Just grab a seat for a moment. What seemed impossible to those Hebrews who were enslaved in Egypt at that time. God made a way. He made a miraculous way. And you might feel like there's no way out for you. You might be watching online right now and you might feel there's no hope, no chance. But there is. This room right now is filled with people who've experienced that. You've experienced how God has made a way where there just seemed to be no way. And God has done it. And you know it. The Bible actually says that everything that Moses went through and even that night of the Passover, it actually says that land that was taken and the blood that was shed and painted on the doorpost, that was a visual picture of what Jesus would do. Paul actually calls Jesus the, the Passover lamb. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. They had to eat unleavened bread that night. Leaven speaks of, in this instance, sin and disobeying God. And Paul's saying, let's not live like that. He says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been crucified. This is the deal. That what God did through Moses and how Moses had to institute some of these kind of laws that sound strange to our ears. Animal sacrifices, they all point to Jesus. Every animal sacrifice points to a different aspect of what Jesus did. Then God, the big deal, God told Moses to build this great big fence around a tent called the tabernacle. And it all points to the work of Jesus, what God did through Jesus and so everything that God had Moses do Moses is probably the most important person in the Bible apart from Christ but everything God got Moses to do was to teach the people who he God really is how he is God's unfolding story of redemption that is the rescue of mankind the rescue of you and me at this point describes how God used Moses to show Israel who God really is, who God was. That's the story. That's where this story is going. And we've just taken one of the greatest true stories in the Bible to do that. So this is what I want to do now. No matter how empty, no matter how broken, no matter how far away you feel from God, would you just be praying right now? No matter where you're at right now, I want to introduce you to the author of the Bible, the author of this story. You are not a million miles away. You are just one prayer away. He invites you to pray a prayer. A prayer, and that prayer for you might be, God, I don't even know if you're real. Please show yourself to me. That's a great place to start. Maybe that's not your deal. Maybe you know, you know that God's been on your case. For you, your prayer might be, God, I want to come home. I want to come to you. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Help me to fix up my broken life. Put me back together, I pray. You pray a prayer like that, I guarantee you, your life will be changed. So Father, I pray that as we look at this piece of the story, 
that now the box lid will become just a little bit clearer to people that you are the God who has revealed himself and you have revealed your story of rescue rescuing mankind and that all that Moses had to do ultimately was just a prefiguring just a shadow of what Jesus would ultimately do and Lord I pray that we would leave this place today and leave this moment today with an increased confidence that the God of the Bible is the God of reality the God who created heaven and earth the God who describes the only way you can find peace for your soul by turning to him so Father I pray that we your people might know the love of God the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. As we've heard tonight, God's story of redemption is unfolding. There are men and women like Abraham and Sarai, Joseph, Noah and Moses, who were obedient to God and were key players in revealing to Israel who God really was. More from Dr. Corbett next week with the shepherd boy who became king. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.